Uh, whether you are under the weather or over it, we are glad that you are here. Uh, but you know, when, when you go through times of sickness like this and, and everybody's got you know, some sneezes and sniffles and, and coughs and everything, it just kind of, oh man, it just, it just takes it out of you, doesn't it, right? All right, I can't have you going to sleep on me during this lesson. Can't have it, can't do it, all right? So we're, we're gonna sing that song one more time, all right? And even if you're not feeling it, you're gonna feel it a little more this time, all right? We're gonna do this. Hey, you're not buying it. I'm looking around, you're like, uh, you know, we've already been, hey, we sang, we got to the end, it's your turn, let's do this thing. Uh-uh, no, 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 uh-uh, we gotta push through, we gotta push through. Even when you're not feeling good, we still gotta push through. You ready, here we go. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be when we are feeling good, when we're feeling bad, when we are sneezing and coughing. But Father, I pray that we would always remember the healing that comes through you, the healing of our soul, and that whenever the opportunity comes for us to be able to raise our voice, whatever voice we have left, Father, to the last breath, we will raise it in praise to you. Thank you for everyone who has come today, from the oldest to the youngest. I pray that as we study together that your word might speak to us and that we might be changed. So, in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. As I said, I am glad that you are here. Wish we could have been with you last week. There was a group of us up in Gatlinburg participating in Winterfest. And, of course, um, you've heard that uh, Sydney was baptized. That was awesome. There were so many wonderful things that was taking place for over that weekend. I appreciate Marco, the great job that he did as he continued our series, as we've been going through 1 Corinthians, this idea that there is a love that's worth giving. And last week he talked to you how that love does not envy. And we're focusing in on all of this because Scripture says that if we have been loved by God, and if we've experienced the love of Jesus, and if God has demonstrated his love for us through Jesus Christ, then we are told in Scripture that we should love then each other. That's the kind of people that we should be. The love that comes from God should be coming from us, and it should be making an impact in the lives of everybody that's around us. It should change the relationships we have in our homes. It should change what takes place in our communities. It should definitely change what happens within our church communities. And it should change the way that we ourselves look and view 
how we see each other. Every day, no matter what. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. So we're going through 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If you would, let's read this together again this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Now we're going to focus in this morning on the part of this passage that says, it does not boast and is not proud. Now, we've been together, we've been together for about uh, almost seven years now, hard to believe, but we've been together for about seven years now. And there are some things still that you don't know about me, uh, even though it seems like sometimes my life is an open book up here. There are some things you don't know about me. There was a time in my, in my younger years that I was very competitive. And I have to be honest with you, I was pretty good at skee-ball. You remember skee-ball? Um, I happened to be, um, I happened to be famous in the showbiz pizza birthday circuit. Yeah, uh, before there was Chuck E. Cheese kids, there was, there was showbiz pizza, all right? And you would go and hang out with Billy Bob and the gang. And while you were waiting on your pizza to come to your table and Billy Bob to serenade you with happy birthday, you would go and you would chase the elusive ticket. And so you would put your money into the skee-ball machine and those nice little brown balls would come rolling down and, and you would pick them up and, and then you would begin to impress all the ladies or gentlemen who would come to the birthday party with your skee-ball skill. And like I said, I, I was just kind of known that if you invite Chris Barnett to your birthday party, you might as well not even challenge him at skee-ball. I mean, that was just kind of, you know, it. I mean, I'm not trying to brag or anything, but that's just, that's who I was then. I mean, that's what I, that's what I did, and, and that's what I was known for. And so whenever a birthday invitation came, I just looked at it as another opportunity to show my God-given gifts. You know, God blesses people in different ways. Some people, he blesses um, in ways that you think are, are maybe more spiritual, and sometimes he blesses people in ways that are just more practical, you know, being able to school people at skee-ball. That was just my gift. And I thought I'd put it behind me until this last weekend when I went away with the kids to Winterfest, and, and my group wanted to go to the arcade, and there happened to be some skee-balling that was going on, and I just did one I just did one game with my son, and it just started bringing back all those old emotions. And then I got back to town, and our children's ministry was going, they were having a bowling night. They were having a bowling night here in town. And when I showed up at the bowling alley, not only can you bowl, but guess what else you can do? Yeah, you can ski ball. And so, I grabbed one of our new elders, and, you know, break him in right and everything. And I think I've got the picture. Let's see. Yeah, there we go. Um, see, Jason Robertson, he had uh, what it said right there, 1,200. Tim had 1,100. I had 2,700. Isn't that great, right? 27,000 actually, right? That's pretty awesome. I mean, I, I don't want to rub it in or anything. I just thought we'd take a picture just to um, memorialize the moment. I think I've got another one too. Yeah, I'm still excited. 
still wanted to make sure. But understand, it's not just, it's not just adults, okay? It's not just adults that I will um, show my prowess to. It's also children, see? Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I don't care how old you are. If you want to step up, play some skee-ball, step up and play some skee-ball, right? I think what, there's one more picture, right? Yeah, I know. Um, oh, man. Hey, remember this. How can you love others if your eyes are always on yourself? Think about that. How can you love other people if you're always worried about your score? How can you love others if you are always concerned about your bank account? How can you love others if it's always about your success? How can you truly love others if it's always about you? See, here's the struggle that we come to, especially because we live in such an individualistic society. And we are raised up from the time that we can go to showbiz pizza that, listen, there are winners and there are losers, and you want to be a winner. And you want to succeed, and you want to get the most tickets, and you want to be the one who is invited to play on the most teams, and you want to be the one who is always recognized at the top level, and you want to be the one who's always getting the trophy, and you want to be the one whose name is always in lights. This is who you are to be. And so we start young at skee-ball, and then we take it on to other areas, whether it be the athletic field or into the classroom. And then we go to other areas, as in the church youth group, and we start developing this certain pecking order as who counts and, and who doesn't. And then we just take it on into the adult areas of our life. And we walk into the workplace, and we figure out real quick what the pecking order is, and who's at the top of the ladder, and who's at the bottom, and where you fit, and how you can keep climbing. And then you also take it into your home, into your family setting. And everybody knows that you don't cross, you fill in the blank. Everybody knows that when, fill in the blank, they say it, that's it. Because we all have to be first. Not only do we have to be first, we have to let everybody know that we're first. So I don't know when it is that we started giving everybody the finger. No, not that finger, this one. You know, that's where we just started walking around and we just kind of carry our finger with us and we walk into a room and everybody has to know that, what? We're number one. You walk into work and you make certain decisions. It's by the way that you carry yourself. It's the way that you talk. It's the way that you go about the meeting. Everybody knows that you're in charge and that they don't need to say anything that's going to make the boss mad because you're number one. You come home at night and you automatically walk in and you pull out the finger and you just start showing it to everybody that's there in the house. Don't forget, I'm number one. Whatever you want to do, whatever you like, whatever it is that you want to eat, whatever it is that you want to participate in, nothing compares to what I want to do because I am number one. Oh, and you walk into church. You walk into church and everybody pulls out their finger. Just starts wagging it around. 
I'm number one, and so I like this, and I'm number one, and I like this, and, and I'm number one, and I like this, and, and I'm number one, and you're supposed to treat me a certain way because, well, don't you know that, that I am number one? You must not have been here very long because if you'd been here for any length of time, you would understand that I am number one. And look at the results, folks. Look at the results in our lives of everybody walking around giving one another the finger. And saying, listen, I'm the best. I am the one that everybody has to listen to. Look at the damage that it's done to our marriages. Look at the damage that pride has done in your, maybe your own relationship. Because you refuse to back down. You refuse to give any kind of ground. And of course you refuse to apologize because it's not your fault. Because after all, you're number one. Look at the damage that it does within our society. Every group having to stake their claim. Every group having to say, I'm going to be number one. No, I'm going to be number one. No, I'm going to be number one. I'm going to be number one. Look at the damage that it's done in our churches. Nobody wants to play second fiddle. Nobody wants to wash feet. Everybody wants to wag the finger. How can you love others if your eyes are always on yourself? So in the midst of this, Paul writes to the church and he says, listen, love doesn't boast. Love isn't proud. And he smacks us right between the eyes. Oh, we don't mind too much when he talks about the sins that we think are big. And we don't mind often when he talks about those things that are just salacious that ends up on the front page of papers. But when he talks about the fact that if you truly love your brothers or sisters, you do not have to win. And you don't always have to come out on top. And it doesn't always have to be your way. And you don't always have to toot your own horn. All of a sudden, he's talking directly to your heart. Because somewhere along the way, we decided that self-preservation was more important than righteousness. We want some part of ourself to remain. We want some part of ourself to continue to be functioning in our life. Oh, I know we were baptized and, and we died to self. We know all of those phrases and, and we've sung all of those songs. Now to Jesus I surrender. But there's still something that ever so often wells up within us where we got to say, I'm number one and I want the world to know. So Paul writes to Christians this time in living in an area called Philippi. And he says, here's how, you need to, here's how you need to live with one another. He said, in your relationships, you need to be thinking like Jesus Christ. You need to have the same mindset that Christ Jesus had. He said, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Paul says this is what love looks like. 
If you want the definition, and remember we talked weeks ago how that when you take 1 Corinthians 13 and you take love out and put your own name in there, all of a sudden it makes you a liar. Right off the bat, it says that love is patient. And you put your name in there and you realize, wait a minute, I can't go any further because I am not patient. But then all of a sudden you substitute love and you put God there and you begin to realize, oh, now there is truth. Because that's how God is. That's who God is. And Paul says, listen, love cannot boast. And it is not proud. He said, well, why not? Because I want to boast. And I want to tell everybody about my skee-ball score. And I want to tell everybody about my new promotion. And I want to tell everybody about how I am successful. And I want to flood Facebook and Instagram and Snapchat with all the selfie pictures of what I am looking like today and what I am doing today. Why can't I boast? And Paul says, because he didn't. Because if anybody had the right to boast, it was Jesus Christ. If anybody did. But think about it. If you knew that only a few would care that you came, would you come? If you knew that those you loved would laugh in your face, would you still care about them? If you knew that the tongues you made would mock you, that the mouths you formed would spit on you, that the hands you made would crucify you, would you still make them? Would you regard the invalid more important than yourself? Would your focus be on those who were around you, even when they weren't part of your inner circle? You see, that was who Christ was, and that was what Jesus did. He went from commanding angels to sleeping in the straw, from holding stars to clutching Mary's finger. The palm that held the universe took the nail that came from the soldier. And Paul writes to the church thousands of years ago, and it's a message that now comes back to you today. And he says, listen, love doesn't boast and love isn't proud because if anybody should have been shouting from the rooftops, here is who I am, it should have been Jesus. He said, but this is what Jesus did. He didn't think that being equal with God was something to use for his own advantage. And you think about your own life, how often have you played that card? You know, the membership card? Because you're a part of a certain group. You graduated from a certain school, right? You attended a certain, you attended a certain um, gathering with a certain group of people. You have a certain name. Your family is known. And you pull that card. And how many times have you used it for your own advantage? Oh, maybe you just wanted the best parking spot. Or you wanted free tickets. Or you wanted to get your name just a little bit further on the list. Paul says, listen, Jesus could have done it all. He didn't use anything to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. So as we're thinking about this idea it's like, how in the world do we, how do we, how do we get rid of this? How, how do we get rid of this? And I think what we need to do, we need to begin by, by looking at Jesus and, and just emulating just a couple of things. And I think the first is that we need to be willing to become what we are not. We need to be willing to become what we are not. We need to be willing to become humble even though we are filled with pride. We need to be willing to become 
servants instead of being people who are self-serving. You see, when you begin to look and see who you are as a disciple, and you see the choices that you made, you realize, you know what? I understand why Paul said, okay, the things that I want to do, those aren't the things I'm doing. The things I don't want to do, those are the things that I'm doing. He says, what a wretched person I am. Who's going to save me from this body of death? And he answers that question by saying, thanks be to God. Because of the salvation that comes through Jesus Christ. And, and you think, if, if I have to become something that I'm not, what, where do I get this idea? Well, I look at Jesus. And I realize that he became something that he was not. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says that God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. You understand that we, we were not righteous in and of ourselves. We are not righteous in and of ourselves. Any righteousness that we have is righteousness that is poured out upon us by Jesus Christ. And just as he became something that he was not, the disciple is supposed to follow in his footsteps. And so, so th this idea that, you know what, I, I just can't change. I just can't be different than who I am. It's a false premise. Because God is in the business of changing hearts and changing lives. And so you, you read in Romans chapter 12 that we are not to conform ourselves any longer to the patterns of this world, but instead we are to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, understanding, you know what? I've got to become something that I'm not. And if you're a person who struggles with pride, and if you're someone who you know you put the finger up and you'd let everybody know that, listen, I am number one. I'm number one at home. I'm number one on the ball field. I'm number one in the locker room, in the classroom. I'm number one at this church. I'm number one. You just fill in the blank. If that's something that you find happening over and over, it's time to become something that you're not. Why don't you become number two? Instead of being number one, why don't you be number two? Here's the other thing that I think comes from this passage. Is that we, we need to give up what's most important to us. See, we all have these different expectations that we have in our life. Things that we want to have happen. The way in which we want to be known. The way in which we want to be remembered. And for some of us, being able to live out love in our life means that we just need to give up that what's most important. That if the most important thing in our life is, is my own personal success, if the most important thing in my life is making sure everybody knows who I am and what I have done, then it's time to give that over and understand that the most important thing in my life should be that others know what Christ did and what Christ has done and what Christ is continuing to do. You think, well, what did, what did Christ give up that was most important to him? And he realized that that relationship with his father that relationship with his father that meant so much, that meant everything. That relationship with the father all of a sudden came head on with the justice of God at the cross. And if Jesus was willing to feel his own father pour out justice upon him, if he was willing for that relationship that he had had with the father, if he was willing for that now to be something less than what it had been, shouldn't we be willing to give up those things that are most important that the world says we have to do, that we have to be 
that we have to think? Should we, we, we be willing to put those things aside and say, you know what? It's not important. That's not what I am going to be about. Instead, in my relationships with one another, I'm going to have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And he was in the very nature of God, but he didn't consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness and being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So how does this happen? I saw something really cool last weekend. And I thought I would share it with you guys today. Because as we talk about this idea of love, and we talk about trying to be the people that God would have us to be, I think we can't help but just kind of get the idea that maybe what we need to do is just try harder, you know? We need to try harder with our patience, try harder with our kindness. That we just need to try harder and maybe somehow we'll, we'll be a little less envious. Now we work on our pride a little bit and maybe something will, something will change. Except that's not how it works. See, I got a glass of water that's here. And just so everybody can see it a little clearer, just put a dab of food coloring there. And I want this food coloring for you. I want this, if you can see it, if you can see how it just starts to permeate the water there, I want this to represent your soul. I want this to represent yourself. Because here's what happens. Our soul becomes contaminated by selfishness. That's what happened in the garden. All of a sudden, Adam and Eve decided that they wanted to be like God. All of a sudden, they decided that self was more important than God. And so because of the decision that they made, everything began to change and everything was colored from then even up to now. And it's that same coloring that is present in your soul. Those times when, again, you want to do what's right, but you don't do that. And it's like, why does self keep winning out? It's because this is who you are. You're tainted. You're sinful. And so because of that, the things that you say and the things that you do are not always the things that, that God would have you. And, but somehow we've been, I guess, tricked into thinking that, you know what, as Christians, we just need to try a little harder and go to church a little more and, and kind of everything, you know, kind of works out. But I want you to notice, uh, I don't have any kind of special drops to put in here that's going to change this. You've seen, this has kind of been the chemistry experiment before at school where the chemistry teacher, you know, turns the water a certain color and then drops in something else and it changes back and everybody's like, oh, you know, and claps. And you can go talk to Miss Dyser if you want to find out how to do that, all right? I want to take a little bit different approach. You see, if this is who you are and this is who I am and, and we are told, listen, that we are to love and, and we've said that, that love is not something that we do naturally, it's something that comes from God. And when you read about the fruits of the Spirit and you understand love is something that comes from the Spirit, you're like, all right, well, how does it, how does it change who I am? Well, here's what Scripture, I think, teaches. 
that no matter how dark self is, as God is poured more into your life, all of a sudden, you're, it's over time, but your thinking begins to change. Your perspectives come a little bit different. All of a sudden, you're looking at people through a different set of lenses, and you wonder why that is. Oh, you're reading Scripture, you're, you're spending time in the Word, and it's amazing. It just seems like the Holy Spirit is just working within your life. And you hear people like me talk about the importance of coming and being within the Christian community. And you, you read passages like Hebrews chapter 10 that talks about not forsaking the assembling together. And the, the reason it gives there is so that we might encourage one, one another towards love. You begin to understand, wait a minute, I'm going to love more the, more the more I'm like God. And the more God is in me. And so now you start thinking about the things that you listen to and the things that you read and all the things that you begin to put into your life. And you say, you know what? I'm going to devote myself. I'm going to spend more time in prayer. And I'm going to spend more time in Bible study. And I'm going to fast. And I'm going to be someone who engages in spiritual disciplines. And I'm going to worship. And I'm going to praise. And I'm going to ask God that He would fill me. And that He would fill me up in such a way that all of the self and all of the selfishness that's present that leads to all the problems and leads to all the heartaches and has led to all the pain would eventually be changed and made clean. See, I don't have a special pill to give you that makes you less prideful. I don't have anything that you can just drop into your life that all of a sudden you'll be more kind. I can't keep you from being envious of your brothers or sisters. You car. I can't make you more patient by giving you a skittle. But what I can do is offer you the same, the same thing that has been offered for generations. The opportunity to be filled by God. All those who've been baptized into Christ, it says, have put on Christ. All of a sudden, they are a new creation, and there is a new life that they are living, and the Holy Spirit living within them. And individuals then become more in tune with the ways of God, and focus on His thoughts, and focus on His teachings, and, and rely on His leading. And it's amazing, the more that you have God pour into you, the less room you have for yourself. And so, you have lessons like this, and nobody wants to come and say, I am prideful, I boast all the time, so I'm going to give you a different option. Would you like to come and be filled by God? If you would, then I encourage you to come as we stand and sing.